It's so great to be here. If you knew um, how this praise has been this morning from my heart, you would just be... It's wonderful, really. Really wonderful. Thank you. And um, uh, it's not always... You don't always find that everywhere, so thank you very much. Um, uh, I've known Pete and Kath for, what, 10 years? I've been a Christian 25 years. Um, there's a big before and after, but I'm not going to talk about that really. I'm going to talk about um, God's Word because I love His Word and, um, and because I love God. Um, I've been thinking, I said in the cafe church, I've been thinking a lot about hope recently because... Um, we live in times where it's quite difficult to hold on to hope and where actually hope has been redefined for us. Um, hope has become a Christmas wish list. You know, kind of when you were children, you know, I want a bike for Christmas and I really hope I get it. I'm not sure I will, but I really want it. And, um, and that's the sort of culture we live in. And that sort of hope, this uncertain, I want it but I'm not sure I'm going to have it, is being eroded in our culture because things are happening around us that we don't understand and we don't particularly like. And so uh, for um, a Christian, I think it's really important for us to understand what hope is and um, what God means when he says we are to hope in Christ. What does that actually mean? And um, uh, I was thinking, first of all, that we'll start negative. <laughs> normally I like to start positive, and normally in God's word he always starts positive. But I thought we better perhaps understand something about ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 11 and uh, to 13, God tells us that before we believed in Jesus, we had no hope. We might have thought we did, but we had no hope. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Before you and I came into a, a relationship with the Lord Jesus, we had no hope. Um, and that means that before the gospel of the grace of God is preached, people have no hope. They think they do, as I say, they have wishes and they have desires and they have things that they call hope, but there is no hope outside of Christ. I think that that's one of the most important things that has been for me to understand because it's very easily presented to us that there is hope for people that um, you know that things are going to get better that what goes around comes around that it will be better in the end that we are making a brave new world and that as we do certain things we will come together and become this great utopia and so when you read Ephesians 2 and you realize there is no hope outside of Christ you understand how important it is is that we first know him and know how to represent him and um, uh, the truth about ourselves that before Christ we were dead we were dead in our trespasses and sins we thought we were living we thought that was real life but it wasn't we were dead and at best we had what we would might describe now as half a life I had a good life before I knew Jesus I came from a happy family. 
My parents loved me and I loved them. My sisters loved me and I loved them. I married someone who I loved and who loved me. I have two children who love me and whom I love. Before I came to Christ, I thought that I had a you know, good life. But when I received Christ Jesus by his spirit, the comparison between what I had and what I have now was immense. And I realized that I was dead in so many ways. That's what um, the gospel of the grace of God does. It helps us to understand what life is, what real life is. And with that life comes hope. Um, but the strength of our hope, you know, I talked about the bike and wishing for it at Christmas. I, I can relate to that because I wanted a new bike at Christmas. And uh, I actually got one one year. But um, uh, the strength of our hope depends on the person whom we hope in, whom we trust. And so the more we know the person that we trust and that we have placed our hope in, the more we can understand how real that expectation is. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why God wrote 66 books to us. I don't know how many pages, but 66 books. That's a lot of writing, right? To let us know that our hope is not a wish list. It's a confident expectation of what is to come. And actually, a confident expectation that's based on the partial fulfillment of what is to come in the here and now. My hope in Christ is not something that I have to wait you know, until I go through the door of death to receive. My hope in Christ is mine now and will be mine for eternity. That's one of the wonderful things about the Lord Jesus, that his promises to us are yea and amen in Christ. God's promises to us are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. And they're promises for now and for tomorrow. But of course, remembering that in the human, everyday course of our lives, when we have to walk through the mud and the grime and the dirt, remembering that becomes difficult. And I think uh, one of the reasons that I love the Word of God so much is that He helps me through that Word to remember the truth, to know the truth. And um, that's what I want to look at actually uh, today, just for a little while. There are two Psalms in the um, Old Testament, Psalm 42 and 43. In the Hebrew Bible, they're together, so they're one Psalm. But uh, in our Bibles, they're separate. And um, I wanted to look at them because, because our world is going into chaos, because the days are getting darker and darker, because it's confusing, because it's hard to find our way through, I think these two psalms are brilliant for our day. Hard to imagine, isn't it? 3,000 years ago, God inspired someone to write down the words that would actually be good in 2019. That's why I love the word. It's a living word, and it's real for me today. So if you've got a Bible, would you go to Psalm 42? And, um, uh, and we'll take a look at what um, God tells us in that, in that psalm. Because the thing is, about us as Christians now, um, we're told that we have this hope in Christ and that we have this life that began the day we put our trust in Christ Jesus. But we're also told that we have to fight to hold on to the blessings that that life brings. And I think, uh, maybe fortunately, when you're first a Christian, no one really tells you that. Probably because that would be too hard. 
and think, you know, you'd think, I've got to fight. Well, I've got to fight everything else. I've got to fight my family because I've now become a Christian. I've got to fight in my workplace because, you know, but to, to know that I have to fight to hold on to the truth of God, that's throughout the scriptures. We are called to lay hold of certain truths of God. We are told to stand firm in the truth of God. We are told to uh, contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. We are told to fight and we are told to fight strongly because we know we are on the winning side. And the thing is, if you and I don't know the winning side, that we are on that winning side, we can't hold on, lay hold, stand firm and fight hard because we don't have the assurance to do so. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 together um, are great then in our understanding that, uh, of who we are and the fact that we have to fight. Um, Psalm 42, uh, I'll begin. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God, with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. O oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and please my case against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. The psalm opens with a longing, um, a cr real cry from the heart, and uh, the writer describes it as a thirst. He's longing, longing for God, as, as we would long for water in a dry and weary land where there is none. And um, uh, even though his enemies are taunting him uh, and oppressing him, he is longing for God because he knows God exists. So when they're saying, where is your God? 
even though he is disturbed and in despair, even though he hasn't got to the place he wants to be, he knows that God exists. And so he cries out to him. I don't know if you remember in Hebrews it says that um, God is pleased, that, that, that he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So first of all, even to come to God with any prayers or anything, we have to believe that he exists. And you and I who have trusted the Lord Jesus, we know that God exists because we have his spirit dwelling within us. So the psalmist, although he does not have the Holy Spirit indwelling him permanently because Christ has not yet come and died and been resurrected, still he knows the, the truth of God and so he cries out to him. And he cries out to him because his circumstances are so bad. And because all around him people are saying, really? Really? You say God exists? Why is your life like this? Why are the circumstances of your life so bad when you tell me that God never leaves you nor forsakes you, that he is a God of grace and mercy and joy? So tell me, why has he not fixed your life? And to be honest, I ask that too. Why, when my life isn't the way I want it to be, why, God? I mean, I'm doing all the right things. I'm living righteously. So why is my life not the way I think it should be. And I fear, actually, I don't fear, but I think that that's where we will go as the days go forward. We will go into a more desperate, more dark world because we are facing enemies who seem mighty and powerful and we will be forced to understand who our God is and who we are in Him. And one of the ways that God tells us is that when we get to that place where we can't work out our circumstances and we don't know what to do and we don't know why God hasn't made it right yet, then He swoops in with Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 and you realise, wow, God who existed before anything else existed, who is always and anyway God. He is the one who wrote this before I even existed, before I knew I would need to know how to fight. Psalm 42, um, his enemies are against him, his emotions are in turmoil, and he describes his soul as in despair. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Verse 5 and verse uh, 11, he describes that despair and it means a turmoil. It means kind of, you know, this raging storm that's going on inside him that actually might be going on inside you, although you've put your Sunday face on that actually is going on inside many people that we know. This turmoil within where life seems incredibly difficult and where circumstances are beyond our control and our, our, our struggle within to even maintain a semblance of normality. One of the things that I love about God and that I love about his word is that no one has to maintain a semblance of normality in the word of God. The Psalms are written by people like you and me, people who suffered, people who struggled, people who did not know the answers to every question. 
verse 3 tells us that his enemies are taunting him all day long. Where is your God? Where is your God? And the result in him is this turmoil. But he knows, he knows that even though he has enemies and even though the situation that's coming against him is terrible, he knows that God is in control of it. Look at verse 7. He says, your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. He knows, you see, that God is ultimately in control. And like Job, although he does not understand it, and he cannot figure out why his life is like that, he still knows that God is the only answer to the problem and the difficulties that he faces. I think that's amazing, actually. I think it's amazing. Because Job, for example, if you, you've read Job at all, maybe once or twice, you don't want to read it too much, do you? Because it's like, oh no, I don't want to read Job. But Job is the most amazing account. When, 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 we ask, when we come to God and say, okay, I don't understand suffering, God says, okay, read the book of Job. It's like, that's his answer. That's his answer to suffering. That Job, this man who lost everything in cataclysmic disasters, can still say, it is still my consolation and I rejoice in unsparing pain that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Job, who can say, I know that my Redeemer lives and that at the last my eyes will see him. And the thing is, when I'm suffering and when I'm hurting and when I'm in pain, I don't need your words of, you know, oh, it's going to be fine, you know, it's going to be great, because they won't do it for me. What I need is the truth of God that one day, one day, I will see the face of God and he will say, you are mine and look what I did through this suffering. Look what I did through your life. And the wonderful thing to me is that Job never knew the story behind his story. When you read Job, it's like one of those movies, you know, you watch, I watch detective movies, I love, you know, crime movies, and, and there's always a story behind the story, you know what I mean? And for Job, there was a story behind his story. Right at the beginning, it says in chapter 1, there was a day when all the sons of God came to present themselves to God, and Satan came among them. And you think, chapter 1, verse 5... And then you read this conversation between Satan and God, where God says, have you looked at Job? And I'm not going to use your name, I'll use mine. Have you looked at Anne? And I want to scream, no, 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 God, don't do that. And then proceeds 40 chapters of horrific stuff for Job. But what we're shown in that, in that account is here is a man who hung on to the truth that God is God and that God was his God. And even though it was hard and even though he didn't have any answers, he made it to the end. And you know what we're told in that book? That God was glorified through Job hanging on to his faith. 
that God was vindicated, that God had the victory over Satan and all his demons in Job, in that one man who had everything stripped away from him, yet hung on to God. And then I realized by the end of the book, I want to be like Job. I want a faith like his. I want a strength like his. I want to be able to fight like he fought. And if you know the Lord Jesus, you want it too. You want it too. You want to be able to stand. You want to be able to say to the Lord, you know what? Whatever comes my way, I trust you are in control and you will see me through. And one day I will rejoice with you in glory. If you don't want that, you better ask God <laughs> to bring you to that point. That's what Job knew. That's what the psalmist knew. My life is a mess. My enemies oppress me. I can't figure it out. I don't know why it's happening. But God, but God, but God exists and he is great and his love never fails. Look at what he says in um, verse 5 and 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise you. His situation is bleak. He doesn't understand why God hasn't rescued him. But he decides to preach truth to his own soul. And that's how we fight. We preach the truth to ourselves truth in the Old Testament, uh, the word truth, 99% of the time means faithfulness. When it talks about God being true, it means God is faithful. And in order for us to be able to speak truth to ourselves, to preach truth to ourselves, we have to know this faithful God. We have to know him like we know our most, our closest relation. We need to know him like we know our husbands, like we know our wives. We need to know him like our, our, we knew our best friend. We need to know him so that when we need to speak that truth, we are speaking truth based out of that knowledge that knows, that knows, that knows, that knows, that knows that God is faithful, that he is loving, that he is gracious, that he is merciful, that he is in control, that he is sovereign, that he is the creator and sustainer of all things things. Unless we know these things, we can't fight the fight that will come our way. We must know these things. And so the, the psalmist already knows these things and preaches them to, ourself, to himself. Uh, it's funny actually, um, not funny, uh, but I think that when we read his story, the psalmist, we realize that all of us get into that place. Um, most mornings, I would say, I wake up feeling pretty low. I don't know whether that's because it's too early, <laughs> or uh, hormonal, maybe, or just, I don't know. But most mornings, I wake up feeling pretty low. And if I wake up in the middle of the night feeling low, then what assails me are all the things that I should have done and didn't do and all the things I did and shouldn't have done and all the ways I didn't care enough and all the ways I didn't love enough and all the things I wish I could take back and start over 
and it's like this assault in my mind of all the stuff of my life that I wish wasn't there. And the only way I can fight that out of my mind is to remind myself of who God is. You are a child of God. You are a loved, beloved child of God and you are being kept for Jesus Christ. You are being guarded and protected and every sin and every failing and every thought and every deed that you ever did that you wished you hadn't done, God has moved as far as the east is from the west and God refuses to remember them anymore. God will never leave you nor forsake you. God knows exactly what's in your heart. This is me to myself. He knows exactly what's in your heart, Anne. He saw what you did before you even did it, and he died to pay the price of it before you were even born. God loves you with an exceeding abundant love that he will do in your life exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you can ever ask or imagine. Why? Because he is a great and holy and faithful and loving and magnificent God. God, and he will never, ever, ever disappoint you. By that time, it's time for coffee. <laughs> By that time, I can get out of bed. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Some days it's worse than others, obviously, but sometimes I have to fight as hard as that for a long time to get myself back into the truth, not into a positive mindset, but into the truth. This is who you are, Anne. Yes, this is who you are. But this is your God. And this is what he's done. And I know, I know that you have to too. I know. Because this psalmist had to. Where are you, God? And why are you allowing this to happen? And the enemy is swooping in like a flood and reminding him of all the things that he hasn't got and should have and why isn't it better? And why is his life like this? And he has to fight back with the truth. Nevertheless, I will praise God. I will trust in him. He is my help. And I will stand one day in his presence and praise him for thousands and thousands thousands for eternity. Praise God. And so he sings, verse 8, he sings, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And I think that this psalm might be his song that God gave him in the night. You know, look at what he says. Um, why are you in despair, and what, in, in, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Why, are you in dis why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. The, the, um, the song in the night is not a totally victorious song. You know, we live in, in, in the night, as it were, if you see what I mean. We're lights in the darkness. We are living in the night of our life. It's not until we break through that door we call death and come into the glorious light of Christ that it will be fully day. So his song of victory is sung in the night. 
when it's still dark outside, when his circumstances haven't changed, when he knows that he'll get up tomorrow and face the same enemy, but he has this song that God gave him in the night and he is determined to sing that song. It's not heaven here. I mean, it was close when we sang. But it's not heaven. This is earth. This is where stuff is hard. This is where stuff doesn't work out the way we want it to all the time. This is where family breaks down, where marriages break up. This is where evil and wickedness seem to prevail. This is where dreams get shattered and ambitions and, and life goals disappear from view. This is the hard time, the hard stuff. But God, but God, in this darkness and in this night and in this hardship, we have a glorious and magnificent, bright, shining God who calls to us, calls to us, calls to keep going, keep going, keep fighting, keep knowing the truth, keep speaking the truth, keep praising me and you will find your heart lifted. He will be your help. He will lift your face and your countenance and your life until you can sing that song that he gave you in the night. Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, you know Martin Lloyd-Jones, right? Everybody knows he was a preacher, great preacher. Um, I mean, he could spend three weeks on one word. <laughs> Just, anyway, he wrote this. Have you realised that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself rather than talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. He obviously had what I have. You have not originated them, but they're talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing his self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? His soul had been depressing him and crushing him. So he stands up and says, listen for a moment, self. I will speak to you. Yeah. It comes from a book called Spiritual Depression. That's what I do when I wake up. That's what I do through the day. <laughs> That's what I do when circumstances and events of my life are not going the way I think I want them to go. I speak the truth to my soul and I praise the God who is the truth even though I haven't seen any respite, any refuge yet in my life. We have to learn to do that. You know, it just, it's not natural. If it was natural, God wouldn't put it in his word. If, if we did this automatically, I wouldn't, have a, I wouldn't have a message to speak. We don't do this. And that's why God tells us to do it in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. That's why he wrote it down for us. This is what you need to do. The uh, psalmist says in, verse, in what we call uh, 40, Psalm 43, Oh, send out your light and your truth and lead me. 
lead me. Look at where he says, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Uh, and upon the lyre I shall praise you, O oh God, my God. He's asking for God to send this light and this truth into his life so that he can be taken again to the worship place, to the fellowship, to the church, to whatever place he used to go to when he was happy and things were going well. And can you see it? Who's the light and the truth? That's a question. Somebody answer. Who is the light and the truth that God sent out to lead us to his altar, to his holy place? Jesus is the light. This man is praying for God to send Messiah, to send Jesus. He may not know it, but he is. Send out your light and your truth and let it lead me and let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling place. Do you know look, the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't mean do you just know his name. Do you know him? Do you know him as the light of your life and the truth of your being? Do you know that, and that you know that you know that you know that he is your God, your saviour, your Messiah, your redeemer, your friend? Do you know him like that? If you don't know him like that, you need to know him like that because tomorrow might be worse than today. And you need to know the light and the truth of Jesus who will lead you constantly into his holy place, who has hold of you in the holy place, who says you can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in your time of need, who has constantly and continuously leading and directing and building towers in your life. He is doing that because he wants you to come into the fullness of the hope that you have in him. He wants you to understand the hope of your calling. We looked at it this morning, Ephesians 1. The hope of your calling, the riches of his inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing great power that is at work towards those who believe. God wants you to know these things so that when your day is dark, you can speak them out to your soul. I don't know, I don't, haven't spoken to many here. I don't know how you came to know the Lord. I don't know who said what to you and when and when it was. I don't know. But somebody at some time spoke the gospel of the grace of God to you. Somebody at some time spoke about Jesus and something in you responded and you believed and you trusted that Jesus. Well now, just because you've been a Christian 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you still need that same gospel and you need to preach it to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Every day if you have to. Five times a day if you have to. Keep preaching. Listen, Anne. If God is for you, who could be against you? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up, how will he not also with him give you all things? Who can bring a charge against you, Anne? Christ Jesus is one who, who God, it's God who justified. Christ Jesus who is saved. Who can condemn you? Be convinced, Anne, that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Pray, preach that gospel to yourself. 
preach it to yourself so that you are strong so that you can fight so that when the enemy seeks to oppress you and oh he does in so many ways you can fight back with the truth of God you remember in Ephesians Paul says stand firm then put on the full armour of God and right at the end of that little section, verse 16, I think, or 17, he says, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit. And when your enemy gets right in close and he's whispering in your ear, be it day or night, strike back with the truth of God. Use the Word of God. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to listen to what you say. I have a God who has hold of me. Nothing can separate me from that God. I am his for eternity. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He has loved me with an overwhelming, never-ending love. I was his before the beginning of time and I will be his at the end. I am his for eternity. And even as I say it, you want to cry, don't you? You just want to cry at the truth of it, at the faithfulness of this God who would know the stuff of my life and the stuff of your life and he would make these promises to you anyway. And then he would give you the way to make your way through this world into the bright new tomorrow. Preach the truth to your soul. Trust the God who saved you. <coughs> I've, you know, I always have four pages of notes and I never, I can't read them quick enough to speak them. So I've probably missed a load of stuff, but I just want to say to you, are you really a believer in the Lord Jesus? Don't nod or shake your heads. Are you really a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Does he really have hold of your soul? Is his spirit really dwelling within you? If you can answer yes to those questions, then everything in this book is for you. Everything. Every word, every phrase, every sentence, every thought of God is for you, for you. And if God is for you, who could be against you? When you preach like that, and when you understand that Christ is your hope and that these words are leading you f more fully into that hope, as I said right at the beginning, you start to experience the reality of what you actually expect. And you start longing, longing. Oh God, I want to know more of this. I want to love you more. I want to serve you more. I want to love the people you love. I want to go the way you want me to go. I want to live my life for you to proclaim your excellence. I want to stand and speak and talk and live in a way that honours you. And God's answer, I will let, make that happen through your life. You want to serve God? You want His will? He'll do it. I wanted to say, actually, I said it this morning and I'm going to say it again. Um, we need to be praying these things 
for each other. You know, you seem to have an amazing fellowship here. And God will do amazing things through people like this. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says that the manifold wisdom of God is made evident in the heavenly places through the church. Through the church. That's through you and me. Together. If you can't preach truth to your own soul, preach it to mine. And I'll preach it to yours. When you have days when you can't do that because you're not strong enough, remember Moses and Aaron and her? They lifted up his arms when his arms were too tired. That's what fellowship is. It's sharing and caring and standing together to fight. And I, honestly, it's been a great blessing to me to be here because I believe, I can see that this is a place where people love God and want to be loved by him and want to tell other people what a great God they have. So I will pray for Chinar Community Church. It's hard to say Chinar, isn't it? No? I will pray for this church and I would really greatly uh, welcome you, your prayers for me and for the ministry that we're, we're both in, Rosie and I and others. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, as I say, preach truth to your soul. Ugh. Father God, I'm running out of words and trying to fill the silence. So I, um, I thank you, Lord God, that there's no need, that you are an amazing God, that you will, you will take the words from this psalm and burn them into our hearts so that we know them, that we can live by them and stand by them because you want us to stand more than we want to stand. And you want us to know your love more than we want to know your love. And it's an amazing thing, Lord, and I just praise you for it and thank you. I pray for this church, Lord God. I pray for every single member of it and the whole body of Christ here in Chinor. I pray that, that you would just send out your blessing on this church. I know that it's already here, Lord, but I pray for more. And I pray, Father God, that for such a time as this, this church will stand and fight and bring many, many, many people into the family. And I pray that all, Lord God, in Jesus' name and for his great glory. Amen. Amen.